0: In the introduction to his short work on liberty, John Stuart Mill is going to tell us the basis on which he's going to argue. And so in his own words, he says, it's proper to state I forego any advantage which could be derived to my argument from the idea of abstract right as a thing independent of utility. What does he mean by utility? He says it's the ultimate appeal on all ethical questions. Utility is the sort of preponderance of good outcomes over bad outcomes, generally understood by utilitarians, which Mill is a second generation instance of in terms of pains and pleasures, but it could be understood in terms of benefits and harms more broadly. And he tells us that I regard utility as the ultimate appeal on all ethical questions as a utilitarian, but it must be utility in the, the largest sense grounded on the permanent interests of man as a progressive being. What is a progressive being? A being who develops. So this is also tied in with a notion of proper human development as well. So he's not going to make an appeal to simply deontological or abstract principles of right. Instead, he is going to try to show that it's useful to apply what he's going to formulate in this work and which is often called the harm principle. And in respect of freedom of opinion, that it should allow the widest dissemination of opinions, their expression, their publication, so long as they are not directly causing harm. So, If you were to say we should commit genocide and here's exactly how we ought to do it and let's go do it right now. Here's the plans for it. I think Mill would say, well, now you've crossed certain lines and the state can have an interest in regulating that. But in general, Mill is saying we ought to tolerate as much diversity of opinion as possible, especially on controversial matters. Now, why? Why is it useful to do that? Isn't it better just to have the truth and know what that is and not be burdened with having to hear about all sorts of other things which might be complete nonsense or might be offensive to you or irritate you or just might not actually be true? Wouldn't it be better just to have like one book that contains all the answers and and that's it? Mill says, no, no, that's not good for human beings. It's not good for us as the kind of beings that we are in part, because we are truth seeking beings. Truth is part of our good state. So how can considering ideas that we think might be false or might be dangerous or might be noxious, how can that actually be helpful for us? So there's several main things that he discusses in this chapter, several main arguments that he's making, and he sums them up at the end. I'm presenting them here a little bit out of order from his reformulation of them. Cause I'm sticking to the order in which he presents them in the chapter. So the first thing he says is that the opinion that's being silenced or repressed might actually be true. And so, you know, if it is in fact true and we are repressing the truth, well, that's a problem for us because now we don't have any way of arriving at the truth. So he says that to deny this is to assume our own infallibility. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Then he also points out a certain usefulness as well to false opinions. This might seem a little paradoxical. How can something that's false actually be useful for us as human beings? Well, not directly so. It's not useful for us to believe things that are false. But if we happen to believe the truth, we can believe the truth in multiple kinds of ways we can believe the truth because we stumbled across it and somebody told it to us. And that's the only thing that we've ever encountered before. So we just accept it on faith and never think about anything else. And mill says that's not really a rational way of understanding the truth, right? You're, you're not using your mind. You're basically just using your faculty of parroting back things. You're not developing yourself. So, holding an opinion on rational grounds is very important for him. And he frames it like this, even if the received opinion be not only true, that's the opinion that you hold, but the whole truth, unless it is suffered to be and actually is vigorously and earnestly contested, it will by most of those who receive it be held in the manner of a prejudice with little comprehension or feeling of its rational grounds. So if if you're thinking in terms of religion, if you're living in a country that follows the old adage, you know, about whoever's ruling gets to decide what the religion is and everyone else has to stick with that and nothing else can be taught, you're going to hold that on the basis essentially of a prejudice, not of a reasoned opinion that was able to absorb the brunt and, and answer back polemical interlocutors. And that's that's very important, according to John Stuart Mill. We can say similar things about lifestyle. If the only way that you were brought up was that uh, men dress this way and women dress this way and men drive the trucks and women stay behind and tend to the oven and things like that. And you're never exposed to any contradictory opinions and never actually consider that the possibility of them being true. Even if that were to be true, which I highly doubt that, you know, these gender roles ought to be observed like that. You would be holding it on the basis of mere prejudice. Mere convention you wouldn't have any good reasons. And that's part of what it means to be a rational being and hold rational convictions. You wouldn't have any good reasons for the position that you take. Or if you did have any reasons you could bring up, it would be sort of on the basis of a catechism that you were provided. And those reasons would probably be as weak as the ideas themselves that you're endorsing. So it's important to actually have a clash and to hear other points of view so that you can then defend your own point of view. If you haven't defended your own point of view. Mill would say, there's something a little sketchy going on. There's another interesting thing that he points out as well that has generated a useful feature of having falsehoods out there bouncing around. He says that the meaning of the doctrine itself, whatever it is that you happen to believe in, will be in danger of being lost or enfeebled and deprived of its vital effect on the character and conduct. The dogma becoming a mere formal profession, inefficacious for good, but cumbering the ground and preventing the growth of any real and heartfelt conviction from reason or personal experience. Very nice prose there on Mill's part. What's the point? Again, if you're only accepting opinions because they're the ones that are out there and that's what you, you know you're supposed to believe and you don't have other opinions that may be false to contest them, it's going to have much less influence on your, your life. And this is very important, both in, in practical issues and in theoretical matters as well. You might think, for example, about you know some of the Christological debates that went on in early Christianity and were felt to be of incredible importance by many people, so much so that they would fight and anathematize each other. Now look at people today and say, are these really issues for most of us now? Some of them are. Most of them, I think most Christians have only the dimmest connection to them whatsoever, right? It's when you have to defend the point of view that you have that you can actually live it out in any sort of meaningful way. And we could say this not just about religious doctrines, but philosophical doctrines, political doctrines, lifestyle matters, all sorts of commitments, ethical ideas, any of those sorts of things. There's a danger of it degenerating into mere lip service when we don't have a contestation going on. The third argument that Mill is providing, and this is quite a good one, is that there's a danger of what he calls one-sidedness in the doctrines that we hold. So if we rule out other opinions, we are setting ourselves up for problems because the other opinion might not be completely true, but it might, as he says, be an error, but also contain a portion of truth. And since the general or prevailing opinion on any subject is rarely or never the whole truth, it's only by the collision of adverse opinions that the remainder of the truth has any chance of being accepted. So if we rule out other points of view and we say, oh, this has already been decided, this is right, all that's wrong. Well, there's probably grains of truth in, in that stuff that we've dismissed as, as wrong, and that'll supply or remedy the lacks within the point of view that we have ourselves. And if we want to use a metaphor that mill is not using here, we could say that bodies of truth are healthier. The more that instead of setting up, you know, impermeable boundaries, they're able to let in some other stuff from the outside and take it in and assimilate it and make it part of its structure. And this is indeed how healthy traditions of inquiry do in fact function. So these are some of mills main reasons for saying that we, we really do need to be, you know, you could say open-minded to the extent of hearing other doctrines and hearing them presented in their best ways, not distorting them, not so that we necessarily accept all of them or waver between them, but so that we actually do arrive at the truth. And he says that there's two main things that we have to worry about here. And this is similar. To what William James says in in other places, that we have the the opportunity of missing out on a a truth that we want to know, and we also don't eliminate error in what it is that we believe by, by doing that. There's two problems that we could fall into. So, Mill is making a very strong argument here on the basis of utility, usefulness to us as human beings for considering a wide range of opinions and thereby allowing freedom of expression special thanks to all of my patreon supporters for making this podcast possible you can find me on twitter at philosopher 70 on youtube at the gregory b sadler channel and on facebook on the gregory b sadler page once again to support my work go to patreon.com sadler above all Keep studying these great philosophical works.